Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great multitude of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug, dug again the wells of water that they had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, where the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. Also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there, but the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they quarreled with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also. So he called that, that name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, because he said, for now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Then he went up from there to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will also bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called, the name, called on the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with Ahazah, one of his friends, and Pichol, the commander of the army, of his army. And Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? <clears throat> but they said, We have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So we said, let there now be an oath between us, between you and us. Let us make a covenant with you, so that you will go, so that you will do us no harm, since we have not touched you, and since we have done nothing to you but good, and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and ate and drank. They also arose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another. And Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him, in peace. It came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, We have found water, so he called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city of Beersheba uh, to this day. When Esau was 40 years old, he took as wives Judith, the daughter of uh, Beri and the, and the Hittite and Basemath the daughter of Elon the Hittite. And they were the grief, they were a grief to the mind of Isaac and Rebekah. May the Lord bless this reading to our good understanding. Now, uh, families, they, we've been doing a series on families in the Old Testament and the things that we can glean from them regarding our families today. And families are a perplexing combination of uh, flesh and spirit, the creational world, and the spiritual world. Uh, and we must negotiate 
spheres in terms of our family life and the bringing up our children, or rearing our children. Um, kids develop both ways. They, they, they grow physically like weeds often, and we can't believe from one year to the next how much progress they've made physically, maturity, maturing body and um, mind. Uh, but then also we do our devotions with them, we bring them to church, and so we are aware of their spiritual needs. And we sometimes as parents, we can wonder about them in both ways. We can see perhaps afflictions they have physically, and we pray that those would be minimized, and then we wonder about their hearts and their souls. We wonder, well, Lord, where are our children? Are they are they growing in you? Are they just a flesh and blood? You know, the Bible says that the carnal mind, in other words, the mind that is just fleshly, the mind that is undisturbed, the mind that came from the creation or from birth, the carnal mind is enmity or hatred against God. And many people would, don't like to hear that sort of thing. They would even remonstrate against it, but that's what the Bible says. And so the Bible points us to a, a spiritual need that we all have to improve that condition in which we were born. And the Bible says we were all born in sin, Psalm 39, that in, in sin we were conceived, meaning that uh, the race fell into sin, and uh, and so from all of those proceeding by ordinary generation, the Catechism says, from Adam and Eve, uh, will be marked by this problem with sin. And so we must have help. So as parents, we think about these things. We look at our children, and we say, where where are they? How are they doing? Um, how am I doing? Am I doing the right things as father or mother to? influence my children properly are the things that i'm doing are they being blessed or are we just finding ourselves hitting walls again and again and again and so um, this passage of scripture deals with um, both physical elements of israel's background and also spiritual and we see how they're woven together in a in one cloth here there there's no great separation uh, with the Lord between secular and sacred, or between the creational and the spiritual. With the Lord, he exists, and his influence is always there, and so it's up to us then to take the knowledge that we have of God and weave that together in the fibers of our lives and, um, and see his blessing and his improvement. So we see that in this text. Now, the first thing we see in terms of the outline that I've given you in your bullet, the first thing we see is God's hidden but obvious blessings in the very first verse that we read, verse 12. Uh, because Genesis, been, Genesis has been surveying Isaac's life, the, the twists and the turns of it, and then in verse 12 it says, Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. So here we have a, uh, a broad commentary over Isaac's life at this time. He's been going through all of these twists and turns, all of these. It's kind of like a meandering stream that goes this way and that way and trouble here and trouble there, but the Lord continued to bring him out.
fertile pastures. And in this place in Chapman, verse 12, he comments that the Lord in his, uh, in his background blessing, the, the sort of the unseen blessings of the Lord, if God exists, we, we, we don't see him. He's not a physical thing. He's above the creation. He's not part of the creation in the sense of being a thing. So he's the creator, not the creation. But as creator and as our covenant God, he is there and he can bring these vast blessings about. We do our thing, but the, the things that we do are prospered. So Isaac was planting certain crops. He was herd, He was a herdsman and had his people, people bringing um, sheep and goats. But as the, and the Philistines were doing the same thing, but... Because God existed and because God had a delight in his people, God blessed Isaac and his people with this uh, ongoing uh, invisible blessing. So that when they planted seed, it, it yielded a hundredfold, whereas when the average person planted that same seed, it might only yield fiftyfold or twenty-five or something like that. Now we need to be aware of the deity of the living God in terms of its influence on our lives. God can and sometimes does or often does these things. He did this in Isaac's life, and the scriptures testify to this. So this is a um, this is an ongoing kind of thing that, uh, that uh, Israel saw in their covenant life. That is that um, they were aliens in the land. They did not have this land yet as their own. They had to live as a minority community in, in the midst of all these other people. And yet from that position of weakness, God blessed them in his strength so that they could uh, subsist, as it were, in his blessing. Uh, they, As long as they did what they could do. They used their strength to the to the extent that they could use it and execute it. But then God was there, and they began to see this. And the end result of that was that the world about them envied them. There, they were that the, the world noticed. How how is it that these Israelites, everything they seem to do, turns into gold? And that's what was happening. And so. Um, this led to a number of other problems in the passage that we read, but behind them, behind all of those problems, the source of it was God's blessing. And we need to take that as a, a lesson that God, that when we do behave covenantally, that when, when we do seek to honor the Lord, that he will honor us and bless us in, in a way that will surprise us in the end. And we, we, at the end of the harvest, when we have a hundredfold harvest, we say, how did that happen? I know I did what I could do, but the outcome is far greater than I would have had expectation. And so uh, we, we can rejoice at that point and, and, to, and take that as a, an axiom, uh, a rule of life. Honor the Lord and he will honor us. Now, the second point is that... Um, that God's blessings may lead to men's curses. You know, in the covenant, you can be blessed or you can be cursed. There are only two outcomes, blessing or curse. And in parts of the Bible, like Deuteronomy 
26 and 27, it talks about that God says, if you obey me, you'll have these blessings. If you disobey me, you'll have these curses. And he warns the Israelites greatly. Now, this is uh, his message to the Israelites. And of course, implicitly, that's the kind of message that applies to all of creation. Uh, if people would honor the Lord, if they would seek his face, if they would realize their, their great handicap with God, that is their lack of righteousness, their tendency to sin, if they would recognize these things and seek to remedy them by using God's own remedy, even his sacrifice, and ultimately Jesus Christ, whom he sent for us as a Savior, if we would use our Lord Jesus Christ in the proper way, then we would find uh, an audience and, and greater blessings with the Lord. Um, in this case, in verse 15, we see that the Philistines, out of their envy, uh, of, and this went back because it traces back to Abraham and Abraham's death, but it says that they began to stop up the wells of the Israelites in the, in the territory that the Israelites held. The Philistines went and ruined the wells. Now, this is an arid land. The wells are absolutely necessary. And so their uh, effort to ruin the wells, and evidently they could ruin the wells faster than they could be taken care of. And so um, this was a process going on, and it ultimately drove them off the land. And uh, uh, But it says in verse, um, uh, verse 17 that, and 18 that uh, Isaac dug again the wells of water that they had dug in the days of Abraham's father. Now what this shows is that there was a continuity of knowledge between father and son, between one generation and the next. Um, Isaac remembered where the wells were. He, he, despite the Philistines' efforts at filling them in and desecrating them and leveling them and trying to make it obscure or hidden where they had been, um, Isaac respected, Isaac and his chief lieutenants, they respected the past. They respected their traditions. They respected the knowledge that they had, they had agriculturally. And there's nothing more important when you're trying to rear, rear animals and have crops. There's nothing more important than a, a source of water. And so there's a lot of testimony here to the continuity between the generations. Um, Isaac was not one of these kids that just wanted to do everything differently from his parents. He listened. He, he had a, a love for the generations that had preceded him. He had a love for Abraham. He had a love for the faith of his grandfather and, uh, and of his father. And, uh, and that continued on. And we know in the, in the law of God, the fifth commandment, it says to honor your father and your mother. Where our fathers and mothers abide in the faith of the Lord, if we then honor them, it protects us and enables us to carry the faith of one generation into the next. It's a lovely kind of pipeline of faith over the years and over the centuries. And, and so we see testimony to this in Isaac's life, uh, that he, because he did have this mentality about him, uh, he was able to find these new wells of water. But the, the Philistines kept up their pressure upon him and um, they uh, they pushed and pushed and um, I, I, in my Bible I wrote a tactical retreat.
one territory where there was water to another, trying to find some relief from the Philistines, trying to find some place where they would not be such agitators to the Philistines as they grew and as God blessed them. And then ultimately they found um, um, another well in verse um, 22 where there was no quarreling and so they named that Rehoboth uh, because the Lord had made space for them or a room for them to grow. This is a good lesson for us in this world that very often the world will have a an envy and a, um, a jealousy over the people of God. You know, we try to do our best to just rear families to take care of ourselves, to make sure that our children can provide for themselves for the next generation. And we think in, the, in a righteous world, we might be applauded for this. But in, the, in this case, the world is often jealous and angry at us at every point at which we succeed. What this teaches us here in this text is that we shouldn't be, uh, first of all, we should expect it. Secondly, we shouldn't be so allergic to the animosity of the world that we want to go to war every time we sense injustice. Even as our Lord Jesus said, turn the other cheek. There's, there are many places for this in the world. And as, as Isaac um, did these tactical retreats, he and his people did these t- tactical retreats, kept, kept building new wells, trying to find water, but, uh, but did this tactical retreat, we see that God blessed them through it. Uh, ultimately, uh, for, for whatever reason, the Philistines got tired of this program of theirs, and uh, uh, Isaac and his people got far enough away from them that they just, the, the Philistines gave up the, the struggle. And you know, coincidentally with that, uh, Isaac and his people found space and they found water. And God, again, uh, enabled them. Now, obviously, they were not going to the, the greenest-looking areas because the Philistines had them already. So they were, they were looking for land that was marginal or parenthetical to what the Philistines thought was best. And very often we feel like we can see where we're doing that. Just think of the whole Christian school enterprise of how the, the pagans and their policies demand that we worship false gods in the public schools anymore. And they insist upon these things. They, 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 they have these new policies of, of, uh, of uh, changing cultural norms and elevating evil things to be near idols. And, and uh, we may feel today that we're being pushed here and there. And yet, as we have done what we could do, whether homeschooling or Christian schools like this school, it's taken double or triple the effort on our part. We, part, we pay our taxes to the state, and yet the state gives us not the respect that we are due. We have to go the extra mile, save our money, build Christian schools, uh, pay, our, pay our taxes, and yet have home schools. We, we spend a, a fraction of the money on, on some of these other schools that the state does, and yet the Lord still prospers us. He still enables us to go and to develop and to make progress. And so uh, God's blessings may lead to man's curses, but man's curses do not um, tell the whole story. 
God blesses us and God protects us and God enables us even in the midst of that. So that brings us to point three, and that is God's Old Testament water blessing at Beersheba. Now we know in Genesis 21-31 that in an earlier day, Abraham was blessed at Beersheba. He found water there once before. And he erected an altar there, and they worshipped. The people of God worshipped the Lord at Beersheba. Now we see years later, they come back and they redig uh, a well at Beersheba, and they find water there again. We, they, they, find, they discover that where God has blessed them in one place, that it, he's able to bless them again. We need to, in our Christian families, we need to be aware of, of the cyclical nature of our lives and how very often God will bless us in the places and with the things and sometimes with the people that we have known in earlier days if we remember them and if we repair to those places. And especially in days like this where we find that there's a great animosity against the people of God again. We can see where God does take care of us in these ways. Uh, Susan and I were talking about this and uh, one of the things that she does in her life is to use um, Spurgeon's morning and evening. And so she's, she's always, since she, since soon after she became a Christian way back in western Pennsylvania, she began to use this, and she goes through it every year. And uh, she makes notes in her devotional, uh, especially really big things about our lives. And she said that this morning... Uh, she had written in there, uh, be still and know that I'm God, and she re it related that to our coming back to America from Scotland. And so this note in her devotional reminded us that as the canodals of a really difficult juncture in our lives and how God shepherded us through that. You know, in, in 2010, it was it was a real shock with uh, the... We, we lost uh, the job that I had with the Protestant Truth Society uh, as, the, as their Scottish representative that came to a close with almost no warning at all. And uh, we struggled to find a way to stay over there in Scotland as missionaries so that we could continue to help the RP Church and the Free Church continuing over there that we were working with and helping. And um, the Lord just didn't work any of these things out. We, it was kind of funny because we remember... Uh, Andrew Quigley was trying to help us. He was the pastor of Airdrie, and he, one day he came to our house, and he said, or our, our flat, and he said, uh, Dick and Susie said, I know this church in downtown Belfast. He said, can you can you imagine yourself working in urban Belfast? Do you think you could work? We said, oh, yeah, Andrew, we could do that. <laughs> so we tried for that for a couple of days, and then that dried up. And then about a week later, he said, uh, Dick and Susan, there's this, uh, there's this church in the very rural Northern, the Isle of Skye. It's way out there near the ocean. And but can you, can you, if you, if you want, if you saw yourself as urbanites in Belfast, could you possibly consider doing this in Northern uh, Skye? We, we, we took a trip out there. We said, yeah, we, we loved it. You know, and Susan said well, there was no coals there as there is here, but uh, there was the ocean, and and uh, it just was so wonderful to be near the coast. But well, so we 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 tried that for a little bit. See, see, to cultivate that to see if that would work out. And um, 
confused at that point in our lives. But the Lord had it all worked out. So here we are today at Marshall Academy with all of you. And we love you, and we, we've enjoyed this uh, church work immensely. And in some ways, it's been uh, some of the happiest years of our lives here in southwestern Ohio. And this is from a young man that at one time, I, one of my best friends, Carl Bogue, was out here in Ohio. And I thought, I thought, you know, I'm glad Carl was there. He was at the Akron area. I said, I'm glad Carl's in Ohio because I can't imagine myself being in Ohio. <laughs> I like New York, Virginia, western Pennsylvania. I like the mountains of the east. I like the east coast and the, the oceans that I could get to in Virginia and that sort of thing. Um, but the Lord has a sense of humor, and uh, and he brought us here in Ohio. But all of this is is uh, comes about, or we're reminded of these things because of these notes and Susan's devotional. And very often, God will have us. Our lives are kind of cyclical. And he blesses us through uh, people that we knew before, teachers that we've had before, uh, places that we've been, practices, books, counselors that we've had. So do not uh, disdain the things that God has done with you so far in your lives because often these things come back to be blessings for you. And here it was at Beersheba and the, um, the blessings there. We read in verse 33 of this passage that um, there was a day that uh, the Philistines came to Isaac and they wanted to make a covenant with him. It doesn't fully explain what they were about, why they did this or whatever, but um, uh, and Isaac, I, had, I, I think it's kind of interesting that Isaac in verse 27, when they come to him, Abimelech and Ahazah and uh, Pichol, the commander of his army, they come to Isaac, and Isaac says to them, he, you know, Isaac has endured so much from them over the years. Well, he finally said, he, he finally speaks very forcefully to them. And this is a lesson where the, the, the Christians are not, do not, do not always have to just take it and absorb it. They can, we can speak forcefully too. And Isaac said to them, why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? You could get the feeling that there was a good bit of frustration in those words. And, and there was a kind of rebuke to these people. That he had, done, he had not done anything evil to them. He just simply tried to develop and, and provide for his people. But their envy and their jealousy just couldn't contain them. So they come to him again. They want to make a covenant between themselves. And um, and Isaac does that. It shows that some oftentimes the world, in strange ways, at the very point at which we, 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 don't, we have no expectation that they will do anything nice or good, they will sometimes come to us at times like this with uh, uh, something out of the blue. It's completely unforeseen by us, foreseen by God, ordained by God, but not by us. And so as they do that, uh, when that is done, verse 33 says, so he called it, uh, He uh, well, it speaks of this well-being dog, and, uh, but as the men leave, as the Philistines leave, it says uh, that uh, the same day, that, that same day, Isaac's servants come and tell him about the, the well, Beersheba, finding the water there again, where God has once again supplied their needs. And so we see the blessings of that. Um, uh, I appreciate here the fact that we're looking at the covenant family, we're looking at these spiritual blessings that are coming, and yet God is using the physical know-how, some of the 
sense, in their creational sense, and he's also blessing them in, their, in terms of their faith. And, uh, and uh, so there's all this turmoil, and yet God keeps blessing them again and again and again, as we saw in verse 12. So then we come to the end of this passage, and it's the strangest verse, verse 34. It says, when Esau was 40 years old, he took his wives, Judith, the daughter of Barry the Hittite, and Basemeth, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they were a grief of mine to Isaac and Rebekah. Doesn't that sound like some of the things that go on in our families? The fact that there are these aggravations that take place in our families. Now, in this case, though, this was Esau. Jacob and Esau were the two sons of Isaac. And Esau was there just as, uh, just as Jacob was. And Esau could see all of the things that were going on in the family life. He was seeing how they were nomads and yet how God was blessing them. How their blessing was so manifest that it aroused the envy of the Philistines. Then why in the world would Esau, when it came time to marry, make the most important choices of his life and, and choose to marry Hittite women, which were unbelievers in the land? You notice what it says. Uh, when Esau was 40 years old, he took his wives, Judith, the daughter of Barry the Hittite, and Basemeth, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. Well, as soon as you see those words, Hittite, as soon as you see those, the, the descriptors, the Hittite women, your, your antenna should go, you say to yourself, what in the world was Esau doing marrying these pagan wives? Why did he not take for himself a wife from the Israelites? A wife from the covenant people. Did he understand nothing about spirituality? Did he understand nothing about his covenant God? And then by way of affirming that you have the right interpretation there, that you're not leaping to wrong conclusions, verse 35 follows, and they were a grief of mine to Isaac and Rebecca. These foreign women, these, these ladies that had attracted Esau's eyes to themselves, whom he had then uh, actually chosen as his wives to carry on the future of his family. What happened was, ultimately, was that these foreign women became more important to him than the Lord. And uh, his, his family became the Edomites who were antagonists of Israel ultimately and jealous of Israel just like the Philistines had been. In other words, Esau did not rightly esteem the blessings of God. He didn't fear the curses of God. And so he went his own way. He made choices and those choices led to a loss of faith and to ultimately ruin and reprobation. So um, we see this as the as a kind of a uh, an ironic and a chilling postscript to this story about how God was blessing the Israelites during these times. Just because you're in the Church of Christ doesn't mean you're going to get blessed. Just because you're Christian parents doesn't mean you're going to be blessed. What is your faith? What are you thinking about? Where is your love? Do you not see the essential nature of your parents' faith? 
and of their love of God, Esau did not. And so the sentiments of his heart led to certain choices, and the certain choices led to providences, and they were mostly negative after that time. And he gave, beyond all of that, he gave grief to his mother and, their, and his father because they wanted him to marry in the covenant. They wanted him to carry on the faith. But Esau wandered from that and went his own way. So we see in this this, this um, weaving together of the things of this world and the things of God. The spirituality of the Lord and the necessities of life. And we see that Isaac was pulling this off and doing this together. When we think of our Lord Jesus Christ, we, sit, we think how we see how he is the most perfect union of the things of the world and the things of the spirit. Uh, he was truly man, and yet he was truly God. He came into the world, he humbled himself to become a man and take upon himself all the things of this life, to breathe, to be born as a child in a very humble state. And yet, even as he was born in this humble state, he was destined to be king of the world, king of the cosmos, king, king of creation, to sit at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Brothers and sisters, we are today, we are in much the same situation as Isaac was, where we are born in a world where we have certain physical needs, but we also have spiritual needs. We need to weave those two things together according to the designs of the Lord, and if we do, then we will find these great blessings, even as our Lord Jesus found these great blessings by devoting himself to the world despite its sin and then bringing salvation out of this tragedy of the fall into sin and bringing, uh, uniting all things in him that he might offer them all to the Father. Let's close in prayer. Our Father and our God, we pray that we might be inspired by these stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and their families and their faith. We pray that our families today might receive blessings from focusing on their families. And that we might receive strength to live in our day. Despite the aggravations and the jealousies of the world as it looks at us and wants the very things that we have. But without the God who has given them. Bless us, O Lord. Bless our children. Bless our children's children. Bless our families. Bless our mothers and fathers. Bless us as uh, friends of each other and as supporters in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Enable us, O Lord, to be successful according to thy success and according to thy blessings. In Jesus' name we pray.